Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Soccer Morning here on World Soccer Talk. Man, what a day to be alive. What a day to be a fan of American soccer. What a day to be wrapped up in this beautiful game that uh, we call something different from everybody else. Yesterday, the United States beat Germany 2-1 in Cologne, a result I don't think anybody saw coming very much like that win in Amsterdam on Friday. A thrilling victory for the United States of America. Michael Bradley leading the charge. Mixed Disgrude with a goal. Bobby Wood again giving the United States a win with a late goal. We are going to spend as much time as you would like talking about that match. The implications of that match. Whether or not this vindicates Jurgen Klinsmann on some level. Because, if nothing else, there has been a mentality shift when it comes to the United States and Europe. They go to Europe and they win games. That apparently is a thing that, that we do now. And I'm very excited for it. I cannot uh, possibly pour cold water on anything that happened yesterday. Uh, the first half wasn't great, but the second half was brilliant. And again, I thought Michael Bradley was fantastic for the United States. Uh, Mixed day screw took his goal well. Bobby Woods turn, that pass from Brad Evans and the dummy from Jordan Morris. I mean, how, what, what is there not to like? What is there not to like from that performance by the United States yesterday? Uh, the usual friendly caveats apply, but we're not going to make a big deal out of them and we're not going to make, we're not going to oversell this game. It's not. Oh my gosh, we're going to go win something huge now. Or oh my gosh, we're the finished product. Or we've taken a play, our place among the elite of the football world. No one's saying that. We're keeping this in perspective, but we're allowed to celebrate. We're allowed to say, we're allowed to pick out the good things that come with this big, big win for the USA. On this program today, Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup, will join us. We're going to talk a little bit about Mexico. Because that's what we do. We'll talk USA, but we're going to also talk Mexico. They've got a Gold Cup, obviously. They've got a Copa America. That starts for them tomorrow. Miguel Herrera has to has to balance those two things out. Uh, first up is the Copa America as they go down to Chile to participate in that tournament, as usual. There's also a Gold Cup roster for them, just like there is for the USA. And we're going to get to that uh, from a U.S. perspective here shortly. The Liga MX weird draft thing happened yesterday. A bunch of players making moves, including three Americans. Joe Corona, Greg Garza, Edgar Castillo, all with new teams. We'll talk to, uh, talk to Tom about all of that. So look forward to that coming up at 940 Eastern time. We may be trying to get somebody on to talk about that game yesterday. I'll let you know if that happens. It's being efforted right now. Let's do some news. Before we, uh, before we move into the next segment, potentially open up, opening up the phone lines for your take on USA, Germany, whatever else is on your mind on a Thursday. Again, I mentioned that Gold Cup provisional roster. The big names that stand out from this, or the big names, the names that stand out, they don't necessarily have to be big names, the names that stand out for the United States on a 35-man roster that, that is the pool of players Klinsman will select from when he grabs 23 to participate in the Gold Cup. And then subsequently, he can call up six more after the group stage is over, and they must come from this list as well. The names on this list that stand out, Alan Gordon, 
Striker Ellie Galaxy is on this list. Why is Alan Gordon on this list? I imagine it's because Alan Gordon does something that nobody else in this pool does quite as well as Alan Gordon, and that's be really tall, head the ball in, hold the ball up, serve as a target, get his head on 50-50s, lumped forward, late in matches. I imagine that's why he's on this list. Will he actually get a call up? I seriously doubt it, but you never know. And I imagine Klinsman wanted the uh, uh, the ability to call up Alan Gordon later in the tournament if he decides he needs him, if there's an injury, if something changes. Remember, 2014 World Cup, Jurgen Klinsmann calls up a roster, decides to play with a certain formation, needs a target striker. His target is Josie Altor. Josie Altor pulls up lame, t- lame 20 minutes in to that game against Ghana. The United States doesn't have a plan B, and they don't have a target striker. This is the Gold Cup. The competition is a lot, a lot less competitive, a lot less, uh, a lot weaker than the World Cup. If something happens and you lose Josie Altador again, maybe Alan Gordon is the replacement. We'll see if that uh, comes. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't come into play because you don't want Josie Altador hurt again. Uh, also on this list is Demarcus Beasley, a gentleman who, as recently as December, said he was done with international soccer, that he was retiring from the U.S. men's national team, going to focus on his club career uh, and finishing that out strong. And he's been playing well for the Houston Dynamo. Now, apparently, Jurgen picked up the phone, gave DeMarcus Beasley a call, said, hey, we're not real comfortable with our left-back situation. Would you be open to maybe playing some more? DeMarcus said, sure, because DeMarcus is a good guy and a patriot. That uh, This may indicate that he actually does make that final roster for the Gold Cup. One more go-round for DeMarcus Beasley, and again, a commentary on the state of the left-back uh, left pool for the United States of America. Not on this list. Surprising names. Jermaine Jones, not on this list. Jeff Cameron, not on this list. Now, Jermaine Jones has a groin injury. Jeff Cameron, I don't get unless there's an injury we don't know about, unless there's something more significant than knocks and bruises. Because he is a versatile defender who could be useful to this team in the Gold Cup, and he's not there. No Miguel Ibarra. Just made a move. We're also going to talk to Tom about this. Just made a move down to to Mexico and Club León. Maybe this was a matter of letting him get settled or make make that move. Something along those lines. Or maybe Klinsman just doesn't feel he's quite ready yet for a competitive uh, tournament environment. Uh, Two names on this list that... Aren't really surprises, but are notable. Gideon Zalalem with the U-20s right now, not being rushed forward by Klinsman. I like to see that. And Julian Green, who was rushed forward by Klinsman and has now uh, got to determine his club future in Germany as a Bayern Munich uh, looks to see what to do with uh, a player who has stalled a bit and needs to uh, be pushed forward. I mentioned that U.S. men's national team and Minnesota United winger Miguel Ibarra has moved to Club León. Reported fee north, north of a million dollars. That would be a surprise to me. We'll talk to Tom about that. And uh, try to dial that in. And the question there is obviously whether or not the United States missed on Miguel Ibarra, or the United States, MLS, missed on Miguel Ibarra by letting him slip through their fingers to Mexico, or if the money makes no sense in an MLS context, in which case, have fun in Mexico, get better, we'll see you soon. Brazilian legend Zico has announced his intention to run for FIFA president. We're going to get a lot of these. You can come fast and furious. Hope you're ready. Remember, Seb Blatter did not resign, guys. He did not resign. He said, 
I may leave later in the future. That's all he said. Copa America, as I mentioned, kicks off tonight. Chile, the host with uh, Ecuador in the first group stage match of that tournament. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, looks like we're going to be open up the, opening up those phone lines, getting your take on USA, Germany, and whatever else. Go Cup roster. It's on. Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back. This Friday, the U.S. women's team plays Sweden in a game that will be televised live on free-to-air U.S. television in prime time. It will arguably be the most competitive game from the first round of the tournament, and I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the clash live on Rabble.tv. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Plus, I'll be talking you through the game as we watch two of the best teams in the world compete on the field. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board. Then listen live via the app on Friday. So mark your calendars for Friday, June 12th at 7.45 Eastern. Celebrate the U.S. game against Sweden by cheering on the red, white, and blue with me live on Rabble.tv. Been very restricted, but he's been a very important player. Now, second. can they make this one count? They can. The USA is unbelievable. Bobby Wood reaches for the stars. You can almost see it coming. The USA finishing this game the stronger side, and they've got their award. Wood has done it for the second match running. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, phone lines open, 646-832-3909. You know that you have thoughts on USA, Germany. USA 2, Germany 1. Let's just say it. Let's just say it. Let's not get overly excited. Let's not jump up and down. Let's not scream from the rooftops that we are world champs or that we beat uh, the best in the world. Because, yes, we know that was not Germany's A-side. There were missing names. Now, there were missing names for the U.S. as well, and that's going to lead me into some questions. There was no Josie Altidore in that team. There was no Clint Dempsey in that team. At the back, there were quite, you know, whether or not Ventura Alvarado and John Brooks are the future, there were no Wilmar Gonzalez, Matt Beasler. I think those guys might be a little steadier now, but who knows? But because of those attacking players being missing, Altidore and Dempsey, I'm wondering. I mean, I know it's crazy to think this way. I know. But I'm wondering that maybe, maybe they play a little bit better without those guys. Or maybe it's not just, maybe it's not Altidore. Or maybe it's not Dempsey. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not them together. Maybe it's them individually. Maybe it's, Hmm. It's interesting to consider. Look how how well Michael Bradley played over those last two games. He's the best player on the field for the United States. There were several occasions where you could imagine that he may have conflicted 
with Mr. Dempsey when it came to picking the ball up, playing that creative role, having an influence in the attack, being part of the push. Or you could imagine that maybe some of those moves are stalled a bit. And I love Clint Dempsey. And I think that you've probably got to start Clint Dempsey every time he's healthy. So I'm not even sure that this problem has a solution. Just a question. Just an interesting question. Jose on Twitter, what, uh, your thoughts on Wood and Williams being left out of the Gold Cup roster? Uh, yeah. Bobby Wood doesn't have a club. He's not going to be playing in the three Bundesliga. His club was relegated. Imagine he'll be picked up. I saw some Aston Villa fan site, fan Twitter account suggesting maybe Bobby Wood for Aston Villa. Okay. That's a huge step for, for Bobby Wood. I'm not sure he's ready for that, but he certainly should find a, a club to play for, uh, shortly. So he does have that concern to deal with. Uh, Will, Williams. I uh, believe is what's the deal with Danny Williams, Trevor? You got something there? I, I don't have any information. I mean, obviously he played chronic injury. Okay, he obviously played over these last two matches. The United States got got immeasurably better with Kyle Beckerman on the field in that second half. Now there are a lot of there some other things moved around, and it may not just be Kyle Beckerman, but it's hard not to imagine that Beckerman made a difference when when Bobby Wood came off the field. Sorry, Danny Williams came off the field uh, for the United States yesterday. Uh, we'll get to a couple of these other tweets here shortly. Cole on Twitter, I've been saying for two years that this squad is better off without Dempsey on the field. Now, I, I only think, Cole, that that might work if Michael Bradley is allowed to do, is, is in this position he's been playing those last two games. And remember, this is not exactly the way he was played at the World Cup. He was asked to play much higher at the World Cup that resulted in him, because of his instincts, because of his natural ability, tracking back too far and creating a situation where he ran himself out of games. That hasn't happened over the last two matches because Klinsman has decided, okay, we can play him a little deeper. We don't have to have a 10 directly under the strikers playing two strikers in the game against Germany. Both games, right? Let's go to Roberto in Connecticut. What's going on, Roberto? Morning, Jason. Morning. Morning, Jason. Um, oh, man, just in a good mood. You know, you have the United States winning last night, and you have the Copa America starting. It feels like Christmas, doesn't it? Copa, Copa America starting definitely gives us a little bit of a Christmas vibe. The, the, the soccer world right now is just... On fire, Roberto, and and even if it's if you're a U.S. fan, you've got the U.S. U20s in the in the quarterfinals uh, of that tournament. You've got the U23s just fresh off a, a decent showing in France. You've got the women, U.S. women, going into a game against Sweden tomorrow after off of beating Australia. You got the U.S. men having beaten Netherlands and Germany in back-to-back matches. And then if you decide that you want to be part of the larger soccer world, Copa America starts tonight. It doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I just have a few questions regarding um, each of those topics. Um, from these um, two performances, where do you think the United States um, now stand um, going into the Gold Cup now? Do you feel that well, it's um, – are, are, yeah, do you feel satisfied? With this I'm, look, I'm still – again, I want to be careful about pouring cold water on, on this situation because we absolutely, as fans, have every right to be excited about this and, and to, to, to say that this is progress. I think it is progress. I'm still worried about the back line and, and the center backs and – Who's your left back and, you know, whether or not you're, you know, where's DeAndre Gadlin play? Who's your right back? Et cetera, et cetera. I'm still worried about the back line. And that's going to be Chandler and Yedlin in those separate uh, fullback positions. Yeah. Well, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I, I think that, I think that this is progress. And I think that there's a lot of confidence that comes from these two performances. And I think that more than anything else matters ahead of the Gold Cup. They have the talent to go win the Gold Cup. 
it's it's not as though I, I know Mexico is going to be good. I know Costa Rica is going to be good. I know Panama will throw up a challenge. I know Honduras is going to be tough to beat. But they have the talent to go win the Gold Cup, no matter what sort of configuration you put them out in. It's just whether or not they come together well enough at that moment. And what we saw in in Amsterdam and in Cologne is a team that came together in those moments. Now, again, post-European season, everybody's thinking about the beach, the, the, the big stars aren't there, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 caveat, caveat. I don't care. It's still the United States going to Europe was never a given, and now they've gone and shown that they can have the resolve and the, and the, uh, the spirit and all of that, stuff, the mentality to get those results. I think that's important, Roberto. And I feel pretty good right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And all you can do is just support them all the way as we're going into the Gold Cup. Right. Uh, so what are you looking forward to out of this Copa America? Give me a sense of, of where your, uh, where your, th- what your, what your, your big thing is and who your favorite is. <laughs> uh, well, as a Paraguayan American, we always, I obviously want to see Paraguay do well, but being in the tough group that we have with Uruguay, Argentina, and Jamaica, it's going to be very difficult at the moment. But I just want to know your expectations and your favorite and your dark horse of this tournament. Uh, well, I think, you know, it'd be easy to pick Argentina. I do think this could be, you know, the the messy moment and taking that next step and, and finally winning a, a trophy after getting so close to the World Cup. But I think, I actually think Chile's got a, a really good shot at this. I think they're going to ride a wave. And I know there's, you know, I'm uh, I'm listening to uh, some soccer radio this morning and there's a little bit of talk about Alexis Sanchez not getting along with uh, with his teammates, being a big man on campus a little bit, and that's causing some rifts. But I I just think that in that environment coming together. With everything else that's kind of swirling around the soccer world, that Chile is going to be the team that that gets the job done. I I, I, root, I want to root for an underdog because because uh, obviously it'd be easy to pick Brazil or Argentina. And I saw Brazil play Honduras last night, and I wasn't impressed. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Uh, what about Colombia? Um, I, you know, I don't know where Colombia is right now. Uh, I'd have to take a look. I, you know, my I, I we need to get somebody on this show probably to give us a full. Copa America review. Uh, maybe Vince in Toronto, who pays attention to all that stuff, or or, or even you, Roberto, if, if you have an insight. <laughs> hey, man, I'll be, be ready. Well, what, what what do you make of Colombia right now? Oh, I think they have a lot of depth. You know, in midfield, you have Cuadrado, Rodriguez, Valencia. Uh, you got a lot up front. You have Gutierrez, Jackson Martinez, Carlos Baca, Paul Cow. It's it's just incredible the attack they have. Just a bit struggles in the um in the defense. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think this is going to be one of those wild tournaments where you see a lot of goals. I mean, I think I think it be phys- I think it can be physical. South American football can be extremely physical and and aggressive. Um, and you're going to get you know you're going to get red cards. You're going to get some some handbags. You're going to get all of that. But this is going to this is going to give us some goals. I think. I hope. And that's what makes it. That's what makes the tournament so special. Yeah, and you know what? And if you have uh, any interest, uh, thanks, Robert. I'm going to move on, but. If you have any interest in Copa America and you want to know a little bit more about the tournament, if you don't have a full grasp of the history and how crazy that tournament is, there's a piece on uh, at SoccerGods.com right now uh, by, uh, I think it's Zach Goldman and uh, our friend Maxi Rodriguez um, that outlines the strange history of Copa America, how it has sometimes been thrown together last minute, moved last minute, Played twice in a year where one's official and one might not be official, et cetera, et cetera. If you have thoughts on USA Germany, jump on the line at 646-832-3909. We're going to get to Tom Marshall here in just a little bit. So that'll be a good discussion with him on uh, some of the Mexican 
soccer news of the day. And again, the, the Mexicans going in and fighting on two fronts this summer, both Copa America starting tonight, but starting for them tomorrow and uh, in the uh, Gold Cup, obviously, uh, starting early July. And they want that Gold Cup pretty desperately. I know Chicharito Hernandez is on that that uh, provisional roster for Mexico. We'll have an in-depth look at that team. A couple of tweets here. Billy Naden, if Jurgen is going to bring back DeMarcus Beasley, can he also bring back Chirondolo? <laughs> uh, you know what? And here's the thing. There's the sad thing about that, Billy. I might trust a retired Steve Chirondolo at right back more than I do most of the players we have in the pool right now. That that just may be a, the facts. I mean, and maybe that's me, you know, a little um, a little too loyal to Mister Tarandolo, but uh, <laughs> that, that's that's not far from the truth. That's not far from the truth. Uh, Robert on Twitter, uh, Robert in L.A. with some uh, questions about European qualifiers coming up this weekend. You know, honestly, I haven't taken a look. I haven't had a chance to to really look at these games, but it looks like we've got a full round of European qualifiers happening uh, this weekend. So if you're going to be partaking in that, jump on the line as well. Happy to take your thoughts there. I'm trying to look for the big matches. Where's the where's the big match, Trevor? Have you been uh, paying attention to this? Where's the match that, that really matters? Germany's got Gibraltar, so that'll be a bloodbath. Uh, looking at the 12th, that's, that's tomorrow. Iceland and the Czechs, that's not a bad matchup at all. I have to look at their group and see where things stand. Uh, in Group A, uh, you also have Ireland, Scotland. Ooh, there you go. A little Irish on Scottish action. Denmark and Serbia could be good as well. Wales and Belgium. Belgium just uh, got done beating France 4-3. And Wales, you know, always a trier, always puts forth a big effort. Sweden and Montenegro. Bosnia and Israel. Uh, Israel in the news recently because of all of that... Uh, uh, concern over the treatment of the Palestinian FA and the uh, the petition to have Israel banned that was ultimately tabled. I guess did they did they, they didn't vote on it? I know they didn't vote on it. It was essentially Seth Blatter saying go shake hands, and then crowing about how he got people to shake hands. Yeah, we got games uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday in European qualifying. Ukraine Luxembourg on Monday. That's not much of a match. Russia Austria on Monday. Lithuania and Switzerland. I'm just looking at some of these here. All right. 646-832-3909. Not a one of you have any USA Germany thoughts that you want to share on the show today. Not one of you. You're not you're not excited. You don't want to put it in proper context. You don't you don't want to say but it's a friendly who cares or that was a German B minus team or um this doesn't mean anything. Or maybe you're on the other side because I'm fascinated by this this uh, this dynamic that is the black and white Jurgen Klinsmann bashers, Jurgen Klinsmann supporters dynamic dichotomy. Excuse me, that we have going on in in American soccer right now. Apparently, if you are if you have a critical eye on Jurgen Klinsmann, I don't mean like you're you are critical. I mean you are viewing his tenure with the appropriate amount of. Uh, the appropriate amount of gravity and trying to determine where things are and looking at this team and pondering his tenure, pondering his leadership. Apparently, you're a Jurgen Basher. Apparently, you're a Jurgen Klinsmann Basher, which I don't understand. Because there's a lot of that opinion out there. It's it's like this. 
you are if if you've ever been critical of Klinsman, you're a basher or you're a critic or you're unfair. Then when one thing when a couple of good things go his way, and look, I'm I'm here to praise the man. I'm not here to bury him. I'm here to praise what happened yesterday and what happened on Friday. I give full credit to Jurgen Klinsman for having his team ready to go there. To play in Europe and come back and whatever. To put putting Michael Bradley in the correct position, making good making good substitutions. I I wish we had six substitutions every time the U.S. played in every competition because we might be world beaters. But apparently, if you are if you're saying that hey that team didn't play proactive soccer at the World Cup last year and that's what Klinsman said we would play, that makes you a basher. And now, this is time for everybody who was who was on the other side to say. Shut up, haters. Your Klinsman's fantastic. Shut up, haters. This this is you. You can shut up. As if those two things can't coexist. As if those two things are mutually exclusive. As if being critical of Jurgen Klinsman's teams before means I'm not allowed to be support. I mean, I'm not allowed to identify the good things he's done recently. I don't understand that. That's not how this works. You just have some logic failings out there. To be honest, you're clearly not a Klinsman fan, says Trevor. That's not the point. You're missing that. Again, you're being the same as everybody else. It doesn't, that's not the point. You can't say, I'm not a fan, when all I'm trying to do is analyze his leadership. And at various points in his almost four years, there has been a disconnect between what Jurgen Klinsman promised, what Jurgen Klinsman said he was going to do, the way his teams play. They have couldn't win a game, couldn't finish out a game since the World Cup. As if that does, like, all of this is washed away now. Trevor needs to get a microphone because I'm not having a conversation with him over this. Because he wants to throw, he wants to throw stuff at me behind the scenes. If you guys only knew, I can pretend to be something else, but let's be honest. I pretend to be somebody who views the team's progress through the lens of an, uh, of, of somebody who I mean, what what I, I have nothing against Klinsman personally. I have no issue with the man. Oh my god. Okay, um, this this might not go well because again, if the man doesn't have a microphone, stop saying stuff to me, David in Arizona. Jason, long time. You know, this six a.m. is just killing me, but uh, I'm able to get on today. Um, you know, I was just going to say, you know, obviously the friendly thing, it goes both ways when we suck in a friendly, uh, and when we do well, uh, but you know, the, the, the most encouraging thing for me is Michael Bradley. And this has been a guy I've been critical of in the past, but man, he's developed a couple of things since he's got the TFC. And I don't know if you've noticed this. He suddenly seems to be able to beat people one-on-one with the ball at his feet. I- I've never noticed this in his game before. And I- this isn't like, he's not like looking like Maradona doing this. They're very simple moves. But he's able to actually take on a defender and create space. And then with what he's already great at with his vision, I mean, that makes him deadly. If his, if his left foot could join the party, we would have a truly world-class player on our hands. And sure. we might have one anyway. But uh, anyway, I'm really encouraged by Michael Bradley. He's made a couple passes in these, these games that, I mean, there isn't anybody in the world who could make a better pass 
there may be players who are as good at those sort of passes, mm -hmm. but man, uh, I'm impressed today. Like I said, I'm a guy who's really criticized him in the past. So, so good on Michael Bradley. I think, you know, to talk about Dempsey, you know, I think the problem for us is that how do you get Dempsey and Bradley on the mm. field at the same time and have it be an efficient setup? I, I, that's the problem I have. I don't see how we can do it. And I think we're better without Dempsey and, and having also two men up top as opposed to one. I think it makes us different. It makes us it makes us distribute the ball better in midfield when we have two guys up top for some reason. Uh, I don't know why, because you should you have more men in midfield. You should be able to distribute the ball better, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a very good question, uh, the Clint Dempsey issue, and, and I don't know what Klinsman's going to do with that going forward. I think it's going to be tough. I mean, you you almost have to start Clint Dempsey if he's available. Again, he, he's such a figure in this team, and he can make things happen for you. And, and that's really what you buy into with it. But if that means limiting Michael Bradley, and what we've seen from Michael Bradley shows that he is capable of taking the team on his back, essentially, and creating opportunities, I, that's a really tough call. And I main I've maintained Michael Bradley is a good player, even when he wasn't playing well at the World Cup last year. And again, he was he was forced into a situation where just it wasn't working to his strengths. And it's good to see that he is now being put in a position that is working to his strengths and we're getting the, we're, the, the dividends are coming through. And hopefully that's, that's what you want to see at the Gold Cup. You want to see Michael Bradley being this kind of player at the Gold Cup. Yeah. Uh, David, appreciate the call. You anything else? Uh, well, yeah, I just wanted a couple other things just real quickly. You know, I think that the most pairing is Bradley and Beckerman. Uh, I think it works. And I think there's plenty of evidence to show that. The other thing I was just going to say, I'm disappointed with the, in the Gold Cup roster that we're not seeing Eric Lehigh. I know he doesn't like him, but I just don't get it. And then the other guy is Harry Shipp. What has this guy got to do to get a shot at the national team? This guy is, I mean, he is, he's performing week in and week out with the fire. I think he deserves a shot. Uh, yeah, you know, I think, I think Harry Shipp's issue, thanks for the call, David. I'll move on. The Harry Shipp issue is a lot about where does he fit in. Um, you can set, you can slot him in as, if you're going to play the, what we saw as a diamond yesterday, and, and smarter tactical people than me will tell you that really wasn't a diamond. But if, if you play that, I suppose you could put him on one of the flank midfield positions, but is he going to give you what you want? I mean, we saw Giassi's artist who isn't made really to be a two way player in that position, and it wasn't great. When you slide Giassi's artist up to the, the forward position, he plays much better. Let's go to Dixon in Alabama. What's up, man? Hey, Jason. Um, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on this. My idea was kind of that what really made the difference against Germany and the Netherlands was the late subs of Yedlin, Wood, and Morris. Cause mm -hmm. Those guys are all crazy fast, and Wood seems to put a lot of pressure on the center backs. So it seems more that you know our success might have just come from throwing on these really fast kids that the tired mm -hmm. defenses can't handle. That's something that crossed your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is something to that. Um, clearly, Bobby Wood made the most of his opportunity in both games, and not on, again, not on the Gold mm -hmm. Cup roster, probably because of club issues. Um, the 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 substitutions matter, and and again, I think that Klinsman has always been a guy who has gotten who has fixed things at halftime and done a good job with it. Now, again, it's a friendly, so you have more substitutions than you would in a competitive match, and that makes it tougher to judge whether or not that this can be translated. 
and you're mm-hmm. not going to have, you know, he got Jordan Morris. I guess you could throw Jordan Morris, Morris on. Th- there's something to that. I mean, it's, 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 it's a good thing to see. And especially because they're young players and they're, they're taking their opportunity, but, the, but there is something. It's like a double edged sword here. I, I think that that made a difference, but I also think that the United States does stay played better overall. And, and the midfield certainly played better in that second yeah. half yesterday, regardless of who was up top. Yeah, definitely. And uh Yedlin seems like a as much as Clinton will play guys outside of what they uh what they play for their clubs, playing Yedlin at right mid seems to make a lot more sense than playing him at right back considering his weaknesses, you know, getting back on defense. So Well, it's just a matter of it's just a matter of uh, it's just a matter of where you want thanks for Dixon, I gotta squeeze one more in. It's just a matter of where whether you want uh DeAndre Yedlin up and down the flank like that, and certainly playing from a higher position and getting to attack from a higher position, maybe receiving the ball in um, in a one-on-one rather than overlapping and trying to find him moving with the ball or mo- get the ball with to him while he's moving. Um, and because th- those will be those will be deeper runs, and that's more of an overload situation. Uh, I I like him in the midfield. I do. Jeff in Orlando, last call. Hey, Jason. Uh, so I've been a skeptic of. Jurgen Klinsmann ever since his selections for the, the World Cup roster. But it looks like maybe I need to get on board now. So uh, the one thing that I haven't really seen is, does he have a plan? And and t- has he ever summarized that plan on, on what he's doing, whether he wants to go young? You know, we've been bouncing around with formation. Uh, whatever he's doing seems to be working. I just don't know if there's a rhyme or reason to it. No, neither do I. And look, when they weren't winning games... That was one of my sources of, of concern and one of my sources of frustration is that they it didn't seem to have a plan. Um, what I saw yesterday indicates to me he may have something of a plan. Now, I think the, for, the, yeah, the formation shift from the Netherlands to Germany seems odd, but it's not necessarily a problem as long as they're playing with a cohesive idea of where they're, you know, what to do. And again, Bradley's position is a little more fluid than the diamond would indicate. So I think it, I think there might be a plan. And certainly, again, there's no way you can't give Jurgen Klinsmann credit for this team having the type of fight mentality and spirit. And all those things are, are very abstract and tough to pin down. And there's no way for us to measure them except by these results. And here they are. Here's the result. Klinsmann must be right. He's selling us on, 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 you know, new age <laughs> spiritual stuff. And I, you can't argue with it right now. Yeah, I, you're, you're right. Um, I have to wonder also if, if maybe giving him the benefit of the doubt that he saw some of the quality that we had in the pipeline mm-hmm. and realized that I'll have better players. Okay. So yeah. I've just got to make do with what I've got for a period of time, and then I'll have better players that can compete with each other and give me more options. Sure, that that's one way to go. And look, again, if he gets the results, it doesn't matter how he got here. I mean, that's the thing. Thanks for the call, Jeff. i got to move on. It doesn't matter how he got here as long as he gets the results. That's his job as the head coach. He's got a different job as technical director. If he can find a way to meld those things, then good for him. And again, beating the Netherlands and Germany is nothing to sneeze at. I don't care if it's a friendly. I, I don't. It, it, this is something that Jurgen Klinsmann can rightly hold up as proof of his program making progress. And that's, oops, that's an acknowledgement there. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's really loud. Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup, will join us. We'll talk about Mexico's preparations for Gold Cup and Copa America starting in just one day. Don't go anywhere. Be right back.
This Friday, the U.S. women's team plays Sweden in a game that will be televised live on free-to-air U.S. television in prime time. It will arguably be the most competitive game from the first round of the tournament, and I'll be sharing my thoughts and opinions about the clash live on Rabble.tv. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Plus, I'll be talking you through the game as we watch two of the best teams in the world compete on the field. With Rabble.tv, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head over to Rabble.tv to listen to me sharing my analysis. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app today and add a comment to the broadcast message board. Then listen live via the app on Friday. So mark your calendars for Friday, June 12th at 7.45 Eastern. Celebrate the U.S. game against Sweden by cheering on the red, white, and blue with me live on Rabble.tv. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, back on Soccer Morning, turning now to our friends south of the border, Mexico on the mind. Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on Twitter, a man of uh, many, many outlets, is uh, on the phone with us. Hi, hi, Tom, how are you? Hi, Jason, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, can't, can't complain, a lot going on, but uh, it's all good. A lot going on, a lot of different compartments in your brain to hold all of this information there's there's big time l3 uh happenings with both copa america gold cup coming up you got the league and all of the movement there and we're going to try to hit it all let's start with copa america because the the mexicans open up their campaign in chile against bolivia tomorrow night um this is a tournament that mexico has been participating in for a very long time going back to 1993 and have been successful in this is one of those years, though, where they can't take their best squad because of what's coming up in CONCACAF. What do we make of the roster and their chances to make some noise uh, down in South America? I think it's uh, honestly not that exciting a roster. I think that, um, you know, the other thing that, you know, four years ago, Mexico took, took an under-22 team, and which actually went, went on to go and win the Olympics a year later. Um, but obviously didn't do very well in Copa America and didn't even get a point. But I mean, this time it's just, it's basically because Miguel Herrera is, you know, prioritizing the Gold Cup. I mean, 100% the A squad is going to go to the Gold Cup. Um, it means the, the Copa America squad's made up basically of, of, of what's left over. And I think that's shown in the three friendlies, uh, we've had over the last 10 days. Um, and I think there's not very much enthusiasm for, for this Mexico squad at the minute, um, I think it's going to be difficult for, for for Miguel Herrera to to do what he said this team can do and that, that he's constructed this squad to do, which is which is to reach the final, which seems a long, long way away right now. Uh, so, looking at this roster, let's pick out pick out for me anybody at all who's worth watching who could make uh, again, even if they end up playing only three matches. Tom, what's the you know, where's the talent here? Where's the the the, the names that we could be seeing um, at, on that A squad uh, come the next big tournament? Yeah, I think definitely uh, Jesus Tecatito Corona, who plays over in twenty. Um, this time last year, he wasn't getting many minutes over in Holland. Um, coming into the preseason before this season, he got criticised for coming in overweight. 
a lot of players, you know, they basically they either sink or swim when they get that kind of criticism from the coach. Uh, Corona's really taken it on the chin and, and, and that kind of redoubled his efforts and he's had a great season over in Holland uh, regularly been in like the teams in the week of stuff and over like, these three preparation games he's been Mexico's outstanding player um, 22 years old a lot of natural talent he always had even you know under 20 World Cup in uh, in Turkey and he's, he's a player that is exciting he gets people on the edge of the seats and, and I think over the next 18 months I mean, let's not say it's going to be the next few months, but the next eighteen months, I think he, he can be pushing for uh, for a starting place in the in the full in the full national team. Is a a, gr- a great player to watch, really is. Some of the names that um, you know that, that Americans and, and maybe casual observers of this team will recognize: uh, Carlos Salcedo and and Rafa Marquez in this team. Um, th- th- that's uh, that's what the they are the 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 old guys that uh, will help keep the young guys in line in Chile. Is that what we're looking at? Um, yeah, I mean, Rafa Marquez is a really strange one because absolutely all the rest of the World Cup team, I mean, is at the Gold Cup apart from Rafa Marquez, and it's he he justified it by saying you know he's coming back, he's coming off the season in in Italy with Hellas Verona, and the, and that you know he'll get more of a preseason if he plays the Copa America, not the Gold Cup, but still, for a guy who's you know thirty six years old and, and coming to the end of his international career. You would have thought he'd he'd have wanted to be with the with the first team, mm-hmm. leading the first team, and potentially, obviously, lifting the trophy, which which Mexico has a, a lot better chance of doing in the Gold Cup than the Copa America. So, yeah, and and Rafa's form has been up and down. I mean, definitely, there's a question about his speed now, um, and and the fact that he doesn't have the top quality defenders around him, I don't think helps him at all. So, you know, it's. We said it before the World Cup. We said it probably for the last few years now, um, and and at times he has proven us wrong. But you know, Rafa, he really needs to to pull it out of the bag this time. There's a lot of responsibility on him. Is is the captain? Miguel Herrera basically lets him do what the hell he wants. Really, I mean, he 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 let him play whichever tournament he wants. He he basically makes his own rules at this point. <laughs> uh, a couple of other names here that I'm uh, that I noticed when I'm looking at this uh, this roster, Tom. This is my first real dive into it, so my apologies. I'm sure you've talked about all of these players. Marco Fabian on this team, and uh, and um, Raul Jimenez on this team as well. That's that's some firepower, and I imagine guys that are very close to being, uh, you know, a squad Gold Cup caliber players. Well, yeah, I mean, you think you think that, and and I think you know, taking Marco Fabian, I think. Some of the goals he's scored this season have been unbelievable again, but in terms of his consistency, he's not been that great. And I think there's a, a, an overriding problem with this Mexico squad is that it's only been together a few weeks. Miguel Herrera's Miguel 5-3-2 formation is, is difficult for players to, to pick up, and I think that's especially the case with the wing-backs and the, and the more advanced midfielders because it's, it's a difficult balance in, in when, when, when to attack and when to, when to drop back. And I think Marco Fabian, He's played most of the season on the wing for Chivas. Suffers in that in the kind of midfield diamond, and I don't think he's quite he quite knows what he's doing. And I think for that reason, he's he's, he's probably not going to start tomorrow against Bolivia, mm-hmm. which I know for for people out there might come as a shock. The other one, Raúl Jiménez. Honestly, in these preparation games, he's looked really lacking match fitness, match sharpness. Probably is better better to say match sharpness. Um, he's been really really poor. And the big rumor here today in Mexico is that Raul Jimenez isn't going to start against Bolivia, wow. which would be an absolutely huge blow for an Atletico Madrid player 
who really needs this tournament, not just to to kind of push for for a place in the full Mexico national team, but also in terms of his club side. I mean, you know, is he going to stay at Atletico? Are they going to loan him out? I mean, if he's not even starting for this Mexico B team, is the La Liga side really going to want to be want to be loaning him as a as a regular striker in in such a top division? I mean, it, it doesn't look great for him right right now. Uh, this is a difficult group, um, if only because it's the 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 host group, and, and Chile is going to want to make a statement to, and obviously do well in front of their home fans. And and I, I'm I'm rooting for them myself, uh, Tom. Uh, Bolivia <laughs> Bolivia is is not is not the strongest South American team. We know that that should be uh, that should be something that Mexico can can target as a win. But the the other two matches, uh, just quickly because we may we'll, we'll probably come to them. But it's it's Friday, Monday, Friday. That's that's a very quick turnaround between matches. You obviously, as you mentioned, that there's some young players here. There's some players in, that are out of form. What do you what do you expect out of the Chile and Ecuador matches? Chile and Ecuador, I think they're going to be extremely difficult. I mean, especially the Chile one. I think Mexico has faced both teams with the A team since the World Cup, and it was nil nil against Chile, a really really good game, even though it was nil nil. And then Mexico defeated Ecuador one nil in in uh, Los Angeles, uh, I think in in April. So oh, I think in March. So you know, two good teams, and with Mexico's A squad, they've had difficulties overcoming. So I think they're going to be two very very difficult games. Mm-hmm. I think you know, if everything comes together for Mexico, I think you know, uh, a draw against Ecuador is possible. But they really, really, and I can't stress it enough, but really have to improve on what we've seen. Especially over the last two warm-up games against Peru, which we were lucky to draw with Peru 1-1, and then the 2-0 loss against Brazil, with you know with Brazil playing a lot of uh, a lot of the the fringe players as well. So it's really difficult. I mean, you know, just if we could just move on quickly to the Bolivia game, it just puts everything into yeah. focus. That it's a must-win game on Friday and okay. tomorrow. It's absolutely essential that Mexico win this game and. And, you know, to put it in a bit of context as well, Miguel Herrera, really for the first time since taking over in, in November 2013, is under a bit of pressure. Um, he sent out some tweets before the Brazil game last Sunday, which were political in nature, which which asked or, or encouraged his followers on Twitter. We know how much of a Twitter star and social network guy is. But this time it backfired because he backed a political party and, and people really, really didn't like it here in Mexico. And, and there was a backlash in the in the press. So he's under a little bit of pressure and he doesn't seem quite as secure as he did or he has done ever since taking charge. I'm just I'm looking through some stuff here. I see a tweet that came out that uh, Miguel Herrera, a quote from Miguel Herrera. Rafa Marquez doesn't know a lot of the Mexico players, but the important thing is that they know who he is. That's uh, yeah. that's just an amazing quote. <laughs> I'm enjoying yeah. that one. Uh, let's turn to uh, let's let's turn to the the Gold Cup because the provisional rosters are out, 35 man rosters for that tournament, Tom, and that's from uh, from that group is is uh, who these coaches have to uh, pick their 23. Uh, is there any first of all is there any overlap between the the Copa America squad and the provisional roster for the Gold Cup? No, just one player, which is the one I mentioned earlier, which is Jesus Tecatito Corona. Who, uh, I mean, I think I think the thing that twenty, I think, uh, obviously intelligent club, and they want to give him as much kind of promotion this summer as possible, with with eyes on on moving eventually to a, to a bigger club. Uh, the other, otherwise, this is the A team. This is the top team for Mexico that he can possibly call in. Uh, how strong and, and how confident is this team at this point in time? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a very strong team. I think it's basically if you take the the World Cup team, 
and you had Carlos Vela, who, who arguably is Mexico's best player, um, and then you take out Rafa Marquez and, and slot in Diego Reyes. I think it's basically going to be the be the same team we saw at Brazil 2014. Um, you know, I think it's, there's pressure on this team. Absolutely no doubt about it. Miguel Herrera stressed so much that the big goal this summer is winning the Gold Cup. Um, I think the, the context as well is that you know, Mexico obviously struggled 2013 with CONCACAF qualifying. Mm-hmm. The US are, are reigning Gold Cup champions and I think Mexico now have really have to uh, go back and, and take this competition and, and go and win it. I think that's the expectation and I think that's Herrera really needs it. I mean, you know, I think nobody expected anything from Mexico at the Copa America. The under-20s crashed out of the, of the World Cup. Uh, the the under-22s didn't do too well in Toulon. Um, you know, the women's team drew against Colombia when when they really should have won. That was a game that they expected to win. So at the minute, it's, you know, it's uh, it's almost like the opposite of the US at the minute. Things aren't going quite well for Mexico yeah. overall. It's... And I think the Gold Cup is, is the moment where, where it's expected to to, to go and win and turn that around. It's amazing how these pendulums swing. Now, of course, Mexico does have some <laughs> silverware to their credit that the United States doesn't have, but that's a different a different discussion for a different day. Um, you mentioned 2013, and that was, you know, obviously that Gold Cup was the quote-unquote off Gold Cup, but we don't really have those anymore because of the, the new playoff wrinkle with the Confederations Cup on the line. And the United States has that one in the bag. They know they're at least in a playoff if it comes down to it, but they want to go ahead and win this tournament outright so they don't have to worry about that. Meanwhile, everybody else is scrambling. Mexico didn't even make the final in 2013, Tom. Um, and, and I guess that that's why there's so much emphasis on this and, and why this is the best team possible. Uh, when you look at, uh, when you look at the, the, the Gold Cup challenge and obviously Mexico is going to have great support around the country. Is there any reason to think that? You know they can just flip on that switch, and uh, and Herrera will have them playing up to their usual standard, and we will see them in the final. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I think that's the that's a realistic expectation, just because you know this team's now been together for quite a while as well. So it has been, you know, it's from it's basically the the World Cup team. So it has had time to adapt. I mean, a lot of these players, like I mentioned in the Copa America, they're just not. They do not don't look at ease in Miguel's five three two formation. Where, and whereas the Gold Cup team now has it's had time to kind of adapt to that. And I think that I think that's that's really important. Um, and obviously, you know, th- th- there is a lot of quality. I mean, you look up front, Carlos Vela and, and Chicharito. I mean, you know, that that's for me by far and away the best strike partnership in the in the tournament. I think there are a few worries in defence. Obviously, you can pick holes. And I think the the biggest thing for Mexico, I think, is the pressure. I think if you look player for player. You think this team can definitely win the Gold Cup, even you know, even with the US doing well at the minute and Costa Rica looking strong. But it's it's how can they handle that pressure and 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 a tournament that is strange because you expect Mexico to walk the group, and then when it gets to the semis and the final, obviously to be completely different, a different story. Well, let's turn to some league topics, Tom. Before we let you go, a lot of movement yesterday. Uh, or over the last couple of days, I'm not sure exactly when the Liga of Mexico's, uh draft was, but that's a thing that happens, and people don't really understand <laughs> it. Um, what what did we what what came out of the quote unquote draft, and then uh, how did that impact uh, how did that impact Americans playing in Mexico, and, and where are those Americans now uh, ending up? Yeah, a lot of surprise news for Americans. I really didn't expect too much to go on, but um, Edgar Castillo moved from Atlas to Monterrey which I think is a, a good move for him. 
think he's had a couple of decent seasons now. Um, I know he's not been in the US setup, but he's, he's been playing quite well. And Monterrey is a club where he, he'll join his former coach, Antonio Mohamed, who the, the duo, they, they won the title together with Tijuana. And um, Monterrey opened a new stadium, um, I think, next month. So, uh, so you know, that's exciting for him. Joe Corona moved on loan to Veracruz. I mean, I think this, for me, was a, a big surprise uh, when his name popped up on the transfer list. Um, I think he was out of contract, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I think the key thing for Joe Corona now um, is to is to get playing regularly. I think he's had a couple of injury problems over the last 12 months. And, you know, he's, he, if he wants to get into that US team regularly, then, then he really needs to be playing. I think that Veracruz probably offers that chance, but until the season gets going, you don't, you're not quite sure. Um, and then the other major move was, was Greg Garza, which was another huge shock because mm. last week he signed a new three-year deal with Tijuana and this week he's, he's been loaned out to, uh, to Atlas down here in Guadalajara. So um, I think that's a good move. He's, he's taking over basically Castillo's slot Atlas and uh, again uh, uh, left back. So again, he's replacing Edgar Castillo again. <laughs> again, yeah. I mean, he didn't. He served him quite well last time because yeah. he didn't just kind of take over him for a club level, but it seemed to kind of extend to international as well. So mm-hmm. he'll be open. Uh, he'll be open for the same. But Atlas is a good club now, and uh, they expect it to be a club more likely even to challenge for titles and, and playoff spots than Tijuana. Last thing here, uh, news out yesterday that Miguel Ibarra, a, a, a wing player, U.S. men's national team player, uh, caught the eye of Jurgen Klinsmann playing at Minnesota United in the NASL, has been transferred to Club León. I'm not sure of the, of the dollar amount, uh, Tom. I mean, I'm interested um, uh, what that might be. I'm not sure it's been disclosed. But just before we get to that, what, uh, what do you imagine León sees in Ibarra, and is there a chance he's going to actually be able to get on the field enough to make it worth it for his continued growth as a player. Yeah, I mean I think that um Leon I've obviously seen a, a Mexican citizen who's <laughs> <laughs> he's playing he's playing at international level. Yeah. And I mean every team has, has five international slots. Ibarra doesn't take one of those away. So all these Mexican American dual citizens are, are on are on Mexican clubs radar. It's absolutely no surprise that he that he is. Um can he get on the team? I mean it's going to be difficult. I think Leon had done did, did well on the in the in the draft, um, but you know that's, that's the challenge for him. Can he step up from the the second or, or lower tier of, of US soccer and into Mexico's first division? It's a huge challenge, and uh, yeah, I think it's what he needs because I don't think he was in the Gold Cup squad, was he? So no. he, he definitely needs it. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's not a he's not an extremely young player. He is twenty five years old, so it's not as though. He's got you know two or three years to spend, sort of uh, waiting his uh, wait, biding his time and waiting for his opportunity. He needs to be playing, and we'll see if that happens at at, at Club León. It is Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on Twitter, one of the best guests we've ever had. Consistently great, Tom. I appreciate the time and uh, stay busy, my friends. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to change, <laughs> thankfully, in the in the future. But yeah, thanks for having me on, Jason. There you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines just briefly and close out this episode of Soccer Morning. Thank you for listening. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Be right back.
mentality as one of let's treat it as though it were a competitive game and here's Giscarud popping up next Giscarud with the leveller for the USA he got into position and finished perfectly mix Giscarud all even in Cologne Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines open again, 646-832-3909. Thoughts on USA Germany. Thoughts on the direction of the USA program. This is your stage here. Give me your thoughts on where you feel Jurgen Klinsmann is in his development of the U.S. men's national team, his leadership. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting to consider whether or not we put a different burden on Jurgen Klinsmann than we did on Bob Bradley or or on Bruce Arena. Um, I'm certainly willing to admit that sometimes I'm a little harder on Klinsmann, if only because of the way he sets forth his ideas. That's probably not fair. I mean, I'd rather have the guy talk than not talk. But Bob Bradley didn't talk, and I mean, I was tough on Bob Bradley at the time too, but in a different way. So here's Jurgen Klinsmann, a guy who has big dreams for the U.S. men's national team. Took us through a World Cup cycle. He's now into his second cycle. Haven't gotten to qualifying yet, but we've got a Gold Cup tournament coming up. He takes his team to Europe because he's challenging them. Full marks for that. Takes them to Europe, challenges them, and they get two wins. Now, does it matter? It's, I, I may have said earlier that it doesn't matter. It's a friendly. What I mean by that is that for our, our purposes as fans to see the progress, it doesn't really matter that it's a friendly. It's not going to take away from our excitement. We can't, we can't hold this up as evidence of anything fantastic or major or, or groundbreaking, but we can take it as a brick in the, bo- in the wall that Jurgen Klinsmann is building. And from that perspective, it being a friendly is not really important. Germany didn't want to lose. I mean, let's not act like those players went out there and said, you know what, I could be on the beach right now in Central Pay. I'm not even trying. They were they it's not as though they weren't trying. The United States beat a very talented team, whether it's the A team or not. A couple of things on Twitter here. Sean disagrees about the US better without Dempsey. If I I I, I pose that question. The top of the show. Could it be that the United States is better without Clint Dempsey in the lineup? Now, you need other those other pieces to complement, um, whether it's Michael Bradley, uh, Kyle Beckerman, uh, Fabian Johnson, certainly. Uh, you want a strong back line. You want strikers who stretch, make good runs, stretch a, a, a defense, make it tough on the, on the opposing team. And that, that's the difference I saw. I don't know what, I don't know what happened with Juan Agadello. I'm not saying he's not good enough. I still think he is. I think he's a, an extremely exciting player. But for whatever reason, Jossie's artist was better for the U.S. men's national team, a striker, than Juan Agadello was. Than Aaron Johansson was, for that matter. Neither one of those guys, Agadello or Johansson, impressed too much. When they, when presented with opportunities, they didn't take them. I don't even know if Juan Agadello had anything happening for him, to be honest with you. Played one half. It was not a good half. The United States was not great in that half. They made significant improvement. And so while we are excited today, and I'm throwing praise Jurgen Clinton's way, it's impossible. <laughs> I'm being called a Clinton basher again. 
I was critical of Bradley, but I never bashed him. What's the distinction exactly? Because I'm pretty sure I bashed Bradley pretty hard, and I was only writing at the time. Was I do was I even doing a podcast at the time? I guess I was. I guess we were doing something around here. Not on Backhill. NASN? Was that a thing back then when Bradley was still the coach? All right. Whatever. If you want to label me a Klinsman basher, that's fine today. I'm not bashing. 646-832-3909. Take your calls and thoughts on this win and what happens moving forward because the United States has a gold cup that they want to win. Do you feel comfortable, confident that this team is good enough to go and win that tournament? With Josie Outdoor back in the team, with Clint Dempsey back in the team. Remember, those are for, for anything, anybody who says, Oh, Germany didn't have their, their fastball. They didn't have their best team. Well, neither did the U.S. exactly. Now, those are different levels, clearly. But the second team for Germany, probably man for man, more talented than the A squad for the United States. And here's the, here's a slightly, Weaker USA team going to Germany and beating a pretty talented B squad for Germany. Aaron in DC, what's up? Hi, long time listener, uh, first time caller. Thanks for taking my call. So I get upset when uh, people say that friendlies are uh, unimportant, and it's for it's for one reason: it's when they win, everybody gets excited, but when they lose, friendlies are unimportant. Well, I, me, it's not about unimportant. It just seems like I don't think unimportant is the right don't word. Want to get their hopes up. Sure. And look, people want to have it both ways. And that's, that's, that's wrong. I mean, they need to be, they need to have the proper perspective. The problem is that nobody likes being middle of the road with these things, Aaron, where they go, you know what? It's a friendly. We won. Whoop de doo. Oh, we lost. It's a friendly. No big deal. I mean, because it makes it, it, it does, it's not, it doesn't bring anything to the table in, in terms of the discussion. You can, you're basically saying it doesn't matter at all. And I'm not saying it does. I mean, I don't think, Friendlies ever don't matter. It's just whether or not the context context of our discussion is appropriate, and and you know it's it's difficult. It's difficult to pin it down. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like it's a you know it gets used as a cop out to when people say like, oh, they get excited about something that they saw in the game, and they say, yeah, but you know, friendlies don't matter. But then when they win, people get excited. It's just well, I don't know. You know I mean, I get it's not necessarily a great conversation point or or whatnot, but. Well, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like people use it as a cop out. I don't think that I don't think that this it's always the same people. Okay, I mean, I think that in general terms, you may be right, but I don't think it's always the same people saying, getting excited about a friendly and a win or or a great goal or something, and then also saying it doesn't matter if they lose because it's a friendly. I don't think it's always the same people. I think the people that are attempting to figure out what this stuff means are giving the proper rate, weight to this. Now, this friendly to me more important or has more weight than a friendly against Honduras for sure but that doesn't mean that it's indicative of again climbing to the top of the mountain yeah fair point fair point uh I just got to say you know I've been um you know watching the team for a while love to see him develop finally love to see him gel and Bradley's moves man just loved it all right thanks for taking my call bottom line there it is is it okay to be excited yeah, we can all pull ourselves back because it's Germany, it's a friendly, blah blah blue but it's okay to be excited. It's okay to think that this represents actual progress. It's okay to see what happened, especially in the second half 
of both of those games and say, that's a team I can get behind. That's a team I'm excited to see. That's what Klinsman said he was working towards. And look, he's actually delivering. Here you go. That's, again, that's point. Finally. Yes. Well, I mean, finally or <laughs> finally or not, it's, it's, it's appropriate to say, good job. I mean, that's, a, that's, it's appropriate to say good job for what they did. Now, no, again, no one's running around, you know, no one's streaking with American flags claiming this is like, you know, so, something that uh, akin to winning the World Cup. I don't think, although apparently, according to the Brits, that's what we're making it out to be because they apparently don't get, <laughs> get irony or sarcasm, but whatever. Um, for the rest of us, it is, it's an exciting time to be a fan. I don't, I don't want anybody to have to apologize for being excited about this. I, that, I think that's important. Absolutely. And, but I mean, if there's a, a hiccup down the road, if uh, Bradley gets hurt or, you know, somebody's in a position where they're not really developing and we lose a friendly and, you know, it starts to look bad, then we just say, you know, people got, start to get all negative again. I, I just, I know. It goes back I know. and forth where uh, it's, the, <laughs> it's upset. It's we, upset. Do have it's a, we, we do have an interesting, thanks, Aaron. We do have an interesting fan base in the United States. And, and look, I actually wrote something that's going to, that's going to give you some illumination on my attitude and sort of where I, in a very meta way, where I realize I've been pulled, pushed and pulled over the last couple of years. It's going to be at ussoccerplayers.com probably in the next couple of hours. Uh, I think that if you are in this job or a job that involves covering this team day in and day out or covering American soccer day in and day out, covering these players day in and day out, if it's your job, if you're being paid for it, think the natural inclination is towards cynicism. I know plenty of people way more cynical about this team and about American soccer than I am. I've been called, I've been, it's been claimed that I wear rose-colored glasses more than once over the last five years. I'm that guy who apparently is too excited about certain things. Now, my natural instinct is to pull people back because I also have, I also have a streak of devil's advocate in me. And maybe that's what comes out of my mouth too often. Because I think I, I err on the side of being negative because when you're, it, it, you know, people get excited, people scream and yell and they get too far and you're like, my instinct is to, you know, no, 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 no of course we're not there yet. Hold up. Here's why. And that seems to be the job. And, and that's, that takes the fun out of it. Hopefully, uh, this t- wins like this can still get those juices flowing. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of soccer morning on world soccer talk. A couple of things on Twitter. Ignore the Brits. They can't beat Germany, even in a friendly. <laughs> Stephen Clark says 2013 at RFK was USA, USA A team versus Germany B. I was there. That was a very strong USA team against a lot of, uh, youngsters for Germany. Uh, and we won 4-3. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mike on Twitter. Is it possible people don't warm up to Klinsman because they get a, they get a Euro snob vibe from him? Sure. That's possible. Especially when he talks about MLS. And if people are are invested in MLS and he dogs that league, that's going to make them upset. And I've probably been on that. Uh, I've probably been guilty of that myself. All right, let's uh, let's go. Thanks to Tom Marshall for joining us. Mexico World Cup on on Twitter. If you're not following him, I don't know what's wrong with you. Let's go uh, to backheel.com and buy a mug because they're awesome. Three nailfc.com where you can get a t-shirt. Um, we have uh, what we we have. An iTunes page where you can leave us a rating and a review. We have a new website, SoccerMorning.net. That's where you go to get all your information about the show. I still need to write my About section. There's going to be guest lists. We'll have videos maybe one day. Something like that. Me throwing stuff at Trevor's chat box. That's what we'll do. See you later. Bye.